Well, that's your last chance to hear the Come Together video, and some of you are glad about that, and some of you are sad about that, but it's been fun. Hey, before we get started, just a little follow-up to last week. Uh, part of uh, the message last week was a challenge for us to invite folks to come and join us for the Christmas season, uh, give them a taste of community here at Grace. So I promised you some tools to do that, so this morning when you came in, you should have received an invite card, and we'll have lots more of those, but we wanted you to have one of them today. So as you go visiting this holiday weekend, friends, family, neighbors, whatever, take a card or two or three with you and just uh, leave them around or offer them to someone. Invite them simply to share a part of your Christmas tradition and join you on a Sunday. Uh, the monologue is happening on Sunday the 14th. Christmas Eve begins on uh, the evening of Sunday night the 21st. So everything's there. It's going to be a beautiful season, and I hope you can bring someone with you. Next week, we'll have a video, uh, kind of a fun Merry Christmas video you can share that we hope will go viral with a little help from you, so we'll let you know about that uh, next week. And a word as well, we have, uh, we're finishing up our series this morning, but we're actually going to keep the conversation on community going. So uh, a few pastors uh, and I got together, and we had a little conversation about some of these things. We recorded it on video, and we're going to post some of those on our website. So you can keep clicking on that Come Together uh, icon and uh, listen in on some conversations about community and how we can go deeper and things like that. So, Well, last week we learned that uh, New England and the city of Boston in particular are among the most post-Christian places in the United States. What we mean by that is the basic values and beliefs of the Christian faith are no longer embraced by a majority of the population in this part of the country, nor are they reinforced by the culture here in this part of the country. We agreed not to whine and complain about that. We said, let's celebrate the opportunity that gives us to let our lights shine all the more brightly against a spiritually dark sky. Well, in that same spirit, I'd like to give us something else to celebrate about life in New England this morning. Uh, recently, the Chronicle of Philanthropy surveyed the largest, 50 largest cities in our country and ranked them in order of generosity. They looked at people's discretionary income and the percentage they gave away to charitable causes. Turns out the most generous city in America is Salt Lake City, Utah, where people give away about 9% of their discretionary income. Now, that's not surprising. We know the Mormon church is there, and they teach and practice tithing pretty strongly, so that shouldn't catch us by surprise. Uh, the next most generous cities are Memphis, Birmingham, Nashville, and Atlanta, where folks give about 6 to 7% to charity. You can kind of see the influence of the Bible Belt there. Apparently, Christians don't tithe quite as faithfully as Mormons do, but that's a subject for another sermon, okay? Now, if you want to find New England cities, you got to go to the bottom of the list, okay? 48, Hartford, 49, Boston, and 50, Providence, Rhode Island. And those cities give about 3% of our discretionary income away. Now, you could argue, yeah, but it's a really expensive area of the country to live in, and there's probably some truth to that, but they did try to gauge it on discretionary income. Yeah, but that's just one study. I mean, it's one data point. You can't make a case for the whole section of the country based on one survey, can you? Well, the Gallup organization recently did a survey, and uh, <laughs> they looked at generosity by states. And they discovered that the most generous states in the Union are Utah, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, and South Carolina. So we see a trend there. 
and the least generous states, once again, you've kind of got to go to the bottom there. Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Vermont, Maine, and the stingiest state in the Union, New Hampshire. Now, there is one bright spot. If you factor in generosity of time, in other words, volunteerism, well, Massachusetts climbs to about the middle of the pack, number 26, and New Hampshire actually makes it to the top five, number five. So New Hampshire, you're setting the pace for us on volunteerism, way to go. The point of all this is that instead of bemoaning the sorry state of generosity in our region, let's celebrate the opportunity to grow and have an impact in this important aspect of the Christian faith, generosity. We're going to, what we're going to discover this morning is that generosity is one of the marks of true biblical community. Now, so far in our series, we've identified eight marks of true community as we find them in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And they are gospel, vulnerability, servanthood, mutual ministry, spiritual formation, emotional health, unity with diversity, and contrast to the surrounding culture. Well, today we're coming to the final passage in Paul's letter. And as we've seen, it's a remarkable letter warm and relational, what we're going to discover is that one of the primary reasons for the warmth uh, of this letter was the people's generosity towards the Apostle Paul. So if we want to experience this kind of warmth and connection, if we want to let our light shine here in greater Boston and New England, then we want to understand and practice this thing called generosity. So that's where we're headed this morning. Now, as we know, Paul's a prisoner as he writes this letter. He's awaiting trial, probably in Rome. He doesn't know if he's going to be released and return to his life and ministry or if he's going to be put to death there. But he sends this letter from prison. We've tried to imagine what it would be like if Paul were in a similar situation today, if he were in prison in some distant, dangerous place and was sending us a message. He might send it by way of video. And so we've seen a couple of times Paul sharing with us, and uh, we're going to watch one more installment as we get to not just hear, but even receive Paul's final words to the church at Philippi. Keep in mind as you listen that these may have been Paul's last words to that particular church. Let's watch. Friends, celebrate God every day. Rejoice, let your gentleness show to everyone. The Lord is near, so don't be anxious. Instead, in every situation, pray with thanksgiving and, and let God know what is on your mind. And his peace, which passes all understanding, will protect your heart and your mind. Meditate on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, pure, lovely, admirable, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. And the God of peace 
will be with you. I am happier than you could ever guess because you revived your concern for me. I knew that you cared, but, but now you had an opportunity to show it. Don't worry, I am not in need. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I can be happy with little or much, whether I am full or hungry, hands full or empty. I've learned the secret. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Still, it's a beautiful thing that you came to me in my troubles. As you and I will never forget, when I first took the gospel from the province of Macedonia, not one church helped me but you. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you brought me aid. More than once when I was in need. More than the gifts itself, I desire that, that you receive the blessing that, that comes from a generous life. Oh, and now I've, I've received the gifts that you sent with Epaphroditus. I, I am, I'm well cared for. And your sacrifice is pleasing to God. And my God will, will meet your needs too out of the abundant riches in Christ Jesus. To God, our Father, be glory forever. Give our regards to every follower of Jesus you meet. Our friends that are here also say, hello. All God's people send their greetings, especially the believers in the household of Caesar. May the grace of our Lord be with your spirit. Amen. Doesn't Scott do a great job of capturing the warmth and the intensity of the Apostle Paul? You could hear the, the deep joy, the deep affection, the deep connection that he has with those folks he's writing to hundreds of miles away. That's the kind of joy and affection and connection we want in our lives, in our church, in our relationships. That warmth and connection is fueled by generosity. It was their generosity toward him that led them into that depth of relationship and commitment to one another. His first words, or as he comes to this section, he begins by saying, I rejoice. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Remember, he's a prisoner. He's cut off from everyone and everything he knows. He doesn't know that he'll ever get out again to live and carry on his work, and yet he's filled with joy. He's filled with joy. Why? 
in large part because of the generosity of his friends and, and what it has reminded him of. Imagine how Paul must have felt as he looked up from that cell or that, that room in Rome and saw Epaphroditus standing there, a friend from Philippi. And he, he comes bringing gifts, a care package from the church in Philippi. They know where he is. Someone knows where he is. Someone cares about him. Cares enough to send one of their finest young men to greet him. Cares enough to put together a package of, 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 of gifts for him, including a new hoodie, perhaps. Just what he needed in that prison cell. You see, when we're generous, it brings people joy. There's always another person on the receiving end of any gift that you give. We don't always have to see that person when they receive the gift, but there's always someone there. And they are receiving encouragement or, or comfort or hope or strength or rescue because of some gift that we might have contributed to along the way. Here at Grace, we have something we call the Benevolence Fund. And we use that fund to help folks who find themselves in a time of financial crisis. At our Thanksgiving Eve service on Wednesday night, we will receive an offering for the Benevolence Fund. You can give to it any time, online or just by indicating on your check or envelope. Uh, but recently, we got a thank you note from someone who had been on the receiving end of the Benevolence Fund earlier this year. And she writes, I would like to thank you and all of Grace Chapel for helping my children and I to begin again. We were living in a dangerous situation, but now my children are making new friends and settling in quite nicely in our new place. Thank you a million times. Can you hear the joy behind those words? Can you see those children running and making new friends in their neighborhood? Can you see that family settling down safely and peacefully in their home in the evening? Generosity. Your generosity helped make that moment possible. And that story could be repeated a hundred and a thousand times over every week as a result of lives being touched through the ministries of Grace Chapel. Hardly a week goes by. We don't receive notes or emails just like that from people telling us how some ministry of the church has somehow touched their lives in a positive, remarkable, healing way. And they come from nearby, they come from all over the city, they literally come from around the world. Your gifts help to make that possible. You don't get to see their faces when they receive the gift, but your generosity makes it possible. Because of your generosity, folks in West Africa are going to find help and hope through the offering you've given recently, $25,000 and rising, that we can send off to folks and help them. Generosity, generosity brings joy, brings joy. Let's keep going, verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. As grateful as Paul is for these gifts, he wants his friends to know that he's not his happiness is not dependent upon them. His contentment is not dependent upon any material things, not a plate of food or a new hoodie or even getting out of prison. It goes much deeper than that. This contentment 
Now, there's an important lesson being taught here. Contentment is something to be learned. Paul says, I learned contentment. And the surprising thing is that we need to learn contentment in times of plenty as well as in times of want. Most of us live in, in situations of plenty. Most of us probably have more than enough food uh, in the cupboard. We have more than enough square footage to live in. We have more than enough clothes in our closet. We have more than enough electronic devices to simplify or complicate our lives. We have more than enough of those kinds of things. And yet how many Americans are truly content? Don't we always want more? Don't we always want the, the latest, fastest, biggest, coolest thing that came out? Haven't we already been making our Christmas list of stuff we want? And so we have to learn contentment in times of plenty, and that's not so easy. You'd think when you have all that, you'd be content, but as we've just heard, we're not always. And so Paul says you have to learn to say no to the latest, coolest, biggest, fastest thing that comes out, even if you can afford it. Because we can is not a good enough reason to buy a new car or remodel the house or upgrade your phone. There's nothing wrong with doing those things if it's appropriate and God has provided you with the means to do that, this expression of stewardship. But just because you can is not a good enough reason to do that. Generosity begins with contentment because you're really not free to start giving things away if you're still trying to accumulate more and more for yourself. And so we need to learn contentment in times of plenty and you need to learn contentment in times of want. Paul says, I know what it is to be content even when I'm hungry, even when I am in need. Now, most of us have probably never known what it's like to be truly hungry day after day after day. Most of us probably don't know what it's like to be desperately needy and materially poor. But chances are most of us have known some lean seasons in life. Maybe as young adults when we were working our way through school or trying to pay off loans, Maybe as a young family trying to get started and get a foundation under ourselves. Maybe in a season of unemployment. Maybe a sudden financial reversal. Maybe in the later years of life living on a fixed income that doesn't seem like quite enough. It's tough to be content when you're not sure you can pay the bills. But until we find contentment, we're really not free to give. So generosity begins with contentment. And Paul says he's learned the secret of being content no matter what the circumstance. And the secret is Christ. Verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is a wonderful verse. It's a favorite for many of us. I have seen this verse on the back of T-shirts in road races I have seen this verse on desks in dorm rooms and in office cubicles. I've seen this verse plastered on the wall of a hospital room. Someone told me earlier that uh, this is a verse they use when they're water skiing. <laughs> when they're sitting there in the water waiting to get pulled up, instead of saying, hit it, they say, Philippians 4.13, <laughs> hoping they can do everything in Christ's strength. It's a good verse, but let's be sure we understand it. It's really not about, it's not suggesting that we can do, that in, with Christ we can do whatever we put our minds to. Not like a comic book character putting on a cape that suddenly gives us supernatural power. It's not that. Paul is saying, whatever my circumstance in life, 
If I have Christ, I have enough. I can do it. I can handle it. I can be content, whatever my circumstances, as long as I'm with Christ, as long as I am in Christ. Someone has put it this way. Christ plus nothing equals everything. But everything without Christ equals nothing. I know that sounds rather simplistic and maybe super spiritual, but the simple truth is that if we have Christ and his good gifts in our lives, we can truly be content whatever our circumstances. And some of us have seen this played out in some of the other parts of the world that perhaps we have ministered in or traveled to or even in our own city. I'll never forget my first mission trip here at Grace to Moldova. And one day we took a 15-hour road trip out to the surrounding countryside and we were going to dedicate some church buildings that Grace Chapel had helped to build. Now these were simple little structures, one room, simple buildings in these tiny, rural, materially poor villages all over the countryside, farming villages. We arrived at one of those little villages in the middle of the day, and the members of the church there had prepared a great spread of food for us, laid out on these rugged tables next to a ramshackle barn in a farm field somewhere. And the, the, the table was covered with food. There was, there was so much food, there was no room to put the plates on the food and down to eat. Chicken and vegetables and fruits and some things I didn't recognize, but there was just all kinds of food on that table. And our host whispered into our ear that these folks had probably emptied their cupboards to supply that food for us. And they would probably not eat meat for many weeks afterwards because they had given it all to us. And yet those folks as happy as they could possibly be that day. I can still see them smiling as they presented this spread of food for us because in Christ, they had enough. Their joy and contentment was not found in food on the table. It was found in the fact that they belonged to Christ. They were members of his community. They wanted to express his love to us and they were as happy and satisfied as a human being can possibly be. They were materially poor but spiritually rich. And that's what this little equation means. Christ plus nothing equals everything. When you have Christ in your life, when you have peace and forgiveness and freedom and strength and hope and joy, then you have the most important things in life that bring deep and lasting joy. And when you have that, well, now you're free to give away the other stuff because you know you can live without it. And so giving not only brings others joy, it brings us joy too. Verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. You sent me aid again and again when I was in need. It seems as though this church has been generous to Paul from the very beginning, from when he first arrived in that part of the world in Macedonia. They gave him gifts then, they were the first to give, and they kept on giving again and again, and even now have found him all the way in Rome. He uses an interesting expression when he talks about this matter of giving and receiving. It's actually accounting language. Literally, you could translate in this matter of disbursements and receipts, in this matter of debits and credits. Seems like a harsh way to talk about friendship. But Paul is saying when we give and receive from each other, that's the currency of relationship, this giving and receiving. 
This giving and receiving, it's so essential to our life together as a community, the ability to give and receive from one another. Remember the woman I mentioned earlier who received that gift from the Benevolence Fund and sent a thank you note? Listen to what she also writes after that. After thanking us a million times, she goes on to write, I'm a hairstylist, and if you have an elderly woman who can't leave her home or a single mom who can't afford back-to-school haircuts for the kids, I am your woman. You hear the joy there? The joy of receiving and then giving, of back and forth, of disbursements and receipts. That's what friends do for each other. That's what a community does. We give and receive. If we want to enjoy life together, we need to learn to do that, to give and receive, not just financial things, but, but care and comfort and counsel and friendship and rebuke and correction. Are we prepared to give and receive that freely with each other? Because if we are, that spirit of generosity allows God to do something new and good in our lives. Verse 17. Not that I'm looking for a gift, Paul says. I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. In other words, as thankful as Paul is for the material help, what he's most excited about is what God's going to do in their lives because of their generosity. Because by their giving, they have opened themselves up to receiving from God. You see, when we give, it creates space in our lives for God to do something new and good. You might think about it this way. Think about the last time you cleaned out a closet. Might be a while ago for some of you, but the last time you cleaned out a closet got rid of all the stuff that had accumulated there, whether it was clothes or sports equipment or um, craft projects, whatever it was. Didn't it feel good to clear all that stuff away? You stood back and said, wow, there's room. There's room to breathe. There's room to maneuver. There's room to see what I have. There's room to finally enjoy the things that are in there and maybe room to add one or two new things to that collection that, that you really want or really need. When we create space like that, we enjoy what we have more, and we can add things we really want and need. A similar thing happens when, when we give things away, when we give money away, when we give time away. We create space for God to fill our lives with other things, things that are even better. We can increase our capacity for God. I like that word, capacity. I got turning it around and around in my head. As I did, it led me to the word capacious. I looked it up to make sure it was a real word. <laughs> Turns out it is, and this is what it means, capable of containing a large quantity. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want to be capable as a community of receiving a large quantity of good gifts from God so that we can enjoy them and so that we can share them? If we want to be a capacious community, We've got to create some space by being generous. I thought about making that our word for the week, a capacious community, but that's too weird even for a word nerd like me. So we won't stick with it, but it's a good word. And Paul finishes his section by saying, my God will supply all your needs. He isn't talking about material prosperity. This isn't a health and wealth gospel, give so you'll get money from God. That's not it. He's talking about material wealth. He's talking about spiritual riches. He's talking about the things that really matter. When you give away, you make space for God to fill your life with good things that really matter. And so generosity brings people joy. 
It brings us joy and it brings God joy. The gifts you sent are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. To God our Father be glory forever and ever. Giving is ultimately an act of worship. Paul says it's like incense rising up towards heaven. And it pleases God. Because those gifts are expression of gratitude, of wonder, of delight, of compassion, and ultimately of love. They're expressions of love for God, for each other, for a world in need. And that makes God glad. That's why we take time for an offering in our worship services. I mean, many of us give online or electronically these days, and that's fine. But there's something important about pausing in a worship service to remind ourselves that everything we have comes from God. And intentionally, gratefully, cheerfully, we want to offer that back to Him and to a world in Jesus' name. One commentator sums up the passage this way. The chief value of their generosity lies in increasing their spiritual capacity and rendering God a pleasing sacrifice. When we give, it increases our capacity for receiving things from God, so we have joy. It enables us to give more freely to the world, so it brings others joy. And it becomes an act of worship, so it gives God joy as well. This topic of generosity, so important to our life together, we're going to come back to it in the month of January. We're going to spend a month or so learning how to live a generous kind of a life. But this morning we need to finish up Paul's letter and come to his final words. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send your greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Paul ends his letter just as he began his letter with words of warmth and affirmation for these friends in Philippi. Not just all of them, but each of them. We'd be better off translating that phrase, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Remember, we said their names and faces are scrolling across the screen of his imagination as Paul finishes his letter, as he writes these words, as he looks into the screen and says goodbye to them. Every one of them mattered to him. And the same is true here at Grace. Every one of you matters to God, to us, to the world. Whatever campus it is that you attend, however long you've been following Christ, whatever place in your journey you may be, however long you may have been here at Grace, you matter. And so that's what we've called the series Come Together. It's an invitation, an invitation to all of us, but to each of us to take a step closer to one another. Someone said that community isn't something you find, it's something you build. Don't wait for community to come to you. Take a step into it. Step towards community. We're going to talk about this topic later on in the year, so we're not done with it yet, but I want you to think this morning about some steps the Lord might be asking you to take, and let me offer them to you as we finish. Maybe it's the step of baptism. In just a moment, in Lexington and Wilmington, we're going to be having some baptisms. 
as folks make their commitment to declare their commitment to Christ. They're not only making a commitment to Christ, but also to his body and being a part of the community here. Maybe it's time for you to make that public statement as well. Maybe it's membership. Something happens when people formally join a church. I've seen it, the level of engagement and connection. Maybe it's time for you to take that step. Maybe it's service. Something happens when we get involved serving alongside other people. There are all kinds of ways to do that at Grace, even for the Christmas season. Maybe it's giving. We've talked about generosity. You realize that you haven't yet begun giving in a faithful way to your church, whatever it is. Maybe God's prompting you to give. Maybe it's reconciliation. Is there a relationship that's out of order in your life, in your circle of friends? Forgiveness that needs to be extended or received? Don't let it go another day. Maybe it's invitation. There's someone the Lord's asking you to invite into the life of your community so they can experience all that we enjoy in Christ. Maybe it's plug-in, the discipleship course we have here. We'll start that again in the winter season. Maybe it's finding a life community, a small group that you can be part of. I don't know what step or steps the Lord might be asking you to take towards deeper community. But I'm praying that each of us and all of us will take a step for our own joy, for the good of greater Boston and the world, and ultimately for the glory of God. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for our journey through this remarkable letter. We're thankful for the community life you've granted to us here at Grace. We are eager for it to go deeper. We want to be closer so that together we can reach wider into our world around us. Show each of us and all of us the steps you would have us to take. In Jesus' name, amen.